Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Peddling Fiction Podcast, broadcasting once again deep behind enemy lines during a pandemic, of course, a national emergency. Once again, your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. How's everybody doing today? I hope you're feeling nice and healthy, got a nice strong immune system to combat the COVID-19, this unbelievably destructive virus that's going to be the end of the world, according to the corporate press. And uh, that will be a lot of the topic of the show today. I have some other things I want to talk about related to politics as well. Yeah, I just got back from the store. God help me. I went to the goddamn grocery store. And I got to tell you, nothing, no matter how bad this virus gets, our reaction to it and the panic that has ensued and just the, the destruction in the supply chain because of the panic, all the reaction to it is worse than the disease itself. I, I don't care how bad these numbers get. There, there's, there's no justification for, for the craziness that is going on right now. And there were, you know, there were still a good amount of um, supplies in the grocery store I went to, but there were certain shelves that were completely picked clean. Like obviously the toilet paper and paper towels thing, which I still don't understand that. I still don't get People are such fucking idiots. You guys are all idiots. Okay. Toilet paper. Yeah. It's a nice thing to have, but it's a luxury item. Okay, we survived thousands of years without toilet paper. If you're if you're really concerned that this is this is a pandemic now and this is a national emergency and this is going to be the end of the world, why are you wasting your your money and your time getting toilet paper? Okay, that is ridiculous. Water. Okay, sure, I could kind of understand water, except that it seems like people are preparing for. Uh, some like a, a, a natural disaster when you're not going to have running water and, and you're not going to have any infrastructure in place. You know, there, there, uh, there's a huge tornado or flood or an earthquake or something. Then you need fresh water. I, I can't really see a scenario, and at the risk of jinxing everything, I can't see a scenario where something like this coronavirus is going to end up in us not having running water. I just don't see it. It's not like that type of problem. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, I guess it doesn't hurt to have water on hand. Um, and I just naturally have a lot of these things. I was thinking about it the other day because I was talking to a friend of mine out in D.C., and she's been freaking out about this. <laughs> So I, I was running through my head of all the supplies that I have on hand. And this I didn't do any prepping or anything. This is just my normal um, everyday life sort of thing. I, I tend to buy things in bulk in general for a couple of reasons, right? You get a better price when you buy things in bulk. And I just hate going to the grocery store. I hate shopping. I fucking hate crowds. I hate lines. I hate everything about it. Man, the, the lines at the register today, first of all, there weren't any carts. And this is, we're talking 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. I don't know why all these people aren't at fucking work, by the way. Go get a job. How about that? I'm off work today. It's, it's my day off. So, I, I you know, I should have gone up. I woke up at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I should probably just go to this store because they're open 24 hours. 
should probably just go right now to avoid th- that fucking craziness. But anyway, uh, the lines at the register, they were down the aisle. It was moving somewhat quickly, but, you know, I was standing down at the end of the first aisle waiting to get waiting to check out at two o'clock in the afternoon. But, you know, I buy buy things in bulk. So I have like huge things of soap already. I've got like three gigantic containers of antibacterial soap. I've got a bunch of uh, dishwasher soap. I've got uh, uh, enough to do laundry for an army because Costco had a fucking sale on these um, huge things of laundry detergent a while back. So I got like six jugs of it. It's not going to go bad. So I just buy a ton of that stuff. Um, I have a sourdough starter because I like to cook and bake bread and make pizza and things like that. And for those of you who don't know how, how a sourdough starter works, it's basically flour and water that you mix together that feeds off of the natural yeast in the air. So I have a, a, a lifetime supply of yeast as long as I have enough flour to feed it. And you just feed this thing. You Really, I've stretched out how long you need to feed it to keep it alive because it's a living, breathing thing now. And I've gone on vacation for three weeks, and, and it's survived that. So I can feed it once every three weeks with half a cup of flour and keep that going. And I have a lot of flour on hand, which is good because everybody cleared out the the shelf of flour. Flour was gone. Rice was gone. All the, all the frozen vegetables were gone. And, um, pretty much all the canned goods were gone. And then a lot of, you know, people don't know how to fucking cook either. So they're all the, the jarred spaghetti sauce was gone (laughs) as if I would ever eat that shit. Jesus Christ, my uh, my grandpa would roll over in his grave if I was buying uh, spaghetti sauce in a jar. And, you know, the prepared meals, things like that, those were in low supply. There was still a good amount of stuff there. But if you know how to cook, uh, th- I don't see any any supply issues whatsoever. They had a whole thing of fucking frozen turkeys. So I got a frozen turkey. I'll be able to live off of that for a week easily. And then when I'm done eating it, I'll use the carcass to make my own chicken stock. And then I can do a number of things with that. That was just one purchase. There were a bunch of them. I probably could have gotten more if I was really concerned about this. But, you know, uh, there was tons of meat, tons of chicken. There, were, there was fresh uh, produce. There was a ton of fresh produce. And I don't know if people know this, but you can freeze that on your own. So... Uh, people are just such idiots, man. But it was pretty funny to watch what everybody was buying. And this one guy in front of me, Jesus Christ, he had half the store in his cart. Five bags of apples. <laughs> this is not going to be the apocalypse. I don't care what the media is telling you. I don't know why they have any credibility on this subject whatsoever. And it's very irresponsible to be creating such a panic. In, in people, and we're seeing this all over the world now. I guarantee you that the reaction, all of this panic that's ensuing, all of the craziness that's about to ensue in in the U.S. because it hasn't gotten bad here, but in like over in Europe, it was pretty bad, and China and things like that. Um, it, it's going to be worse than the actual disease itself. Now, now the real problem with this whole uh, coronavirus thing is the inadequacies of our healthcare system, right? We don't have enough hospital beds for all of the the patients. If everybody gets this at once, we're not going to have enough uh, hospital space ready for everybody that's going to get it. That's the only real problem here. And why is that? Well, it's not like you can just, if you want to, open up a hospital or open up a clinic. Could you imagine, and I've talked about this in in previous episodes, what you would have to go through in order to open up a hospital? We would have a much larger supply of hospitals and, and places where you can go to get treatment if it weren't for the federal government and all their rules and regulations. But then again, if you're young and healthy, I don't think you really need to go to the hospital to treat this. You know, I'm, I'm not a doctor or anything, but you know, I, I actually have some audio that I will try to, I'll, I'll pull it and play it in a little bit of Dr. Drew, just scalding the nation, 
Dr. Drew Pinsky, who I've been listening to since the Loveline days in the 90s with Adam Carolla, probably the greatest radio show of all time. What a fantastic duo that was. But he was he was really upset at the media. And, uh, well, why don't we just play it right now? So what the World Health Organization said was, it is deadlier than the flu virus given currently available data, but uh, we expect it to go down dramatically once we see how widespread and mild the virus actually is. We are only testing people with severe illness, yeah. so we're only picking up people who are likely to have a problem. Uh -huh. The rest of us with the cold or the asymptomatic coronavirus are going to make that fatality rate drop. The fact is, if you aggregate influenza, which is 16,000 dead this year, yep. and coronavirus, what you have is a bad flu season. But the press should shut the hell up. They're creating real-life consequences. People are losing their jobs. People are losing businesses because not the virus, the panic that the press has created. That's my point. Speaking Including of the stock market. Here's what we need to do, and I've been saying this for a month. Let the people whose job it is to contain epidemics do their job. They're doing an amazing job. Worldwide, the equivalent of the CDC and the World Health Organization, we should be tipping our hat to what the, the response they've done. And the, the, they have an understanding of this virus. They have a vaccine in, in, in progress. They have some treatment ideas. They know the epidemiology cold. They have clamped it down where it had a probability of spreading. It's a great story. It's not something to panic about. So there you go. He's a board-certified physician and addiction medicine specialist. <laughs> I remember that from his Loveline days. But he's an actual doctor. And, you know, if you, if you need the appeal to authority, he, he, you know, he, he knows what he's talking about on this. And he's making a pretty good point about these, um, uh, the death rate numbers and, and, and all this stuff that gets thrown around in the media. They're, they're being very dishonest about this. And one way they do it, is instead of telling you how deadly it is, you know, like, oh, it's it's 1% ha has a death rate of 1% or 2%, and, and the flu has a death rate of like 0.1% or 0.2%, uh, they'll say things like, the, the headline will be, oh, uh, this coronavirus strand, the COVID-19, is 10 times more deadlier than the flu. <laughs> okay, uh, but how deadly is the flu really? Not that deadly. So wh why are they using the 10 times number instead of just saying that this is 1% deadly or 2% deadly, whatever it is? Because the 10 times, well, that's scarier. That's going to draw eyes and draw clicks. And then on the one hand, they're saying that it's 10 times deadlier than the flu. But then in the same breath, they'll say that, oh, we don't have enough tests to know how many people actually have this. So we could have hundreds of, of more cases or hundreds of thousands of more cases that we don't even know about. Well, then you don't know if it's 10 times deadlier than the flu, then do you? Because you don't know how many people have it and how many people have had it and recovered. That never gets recorded because you can't test for it. If we don't know how many people have it because we can't test people and people can have it and, and not even realize that they have it or have it and never get tested and fully recover, well, then that death rate is absolutely meaningless, isn't it? And if we're only testing the really, really sick people that are showing really bad symptoms, well, obviously that's going to skew the numbers in, in favor of a higher death rate. You can't have it both ways. You don't get to shout and scream about this um, outrageously high death rate and how we should all be panicking about that and then also say, well, we don't know how many people actually have this. So uh, that death rate might not be actually that accurate. They're creating all of this panic when we really just need good information. And the, the, the corporate press really is the enemy of the people. Don't you ever forget that. But, but this is just insane. I, I can't believe the, um, the level, the, just the amount of panic that has ensued from something like this. And, you know, to be fair, you know, libertarians, a, a lot of us, um, there are a lot of the preppers in the libertarian uh, circles you know, you get these guys that are are prepping for the end of the world in one way, shape, or another. You know, the collapse of the dollar, hyperinflation, riots in the streets, the boogaloo, all, all kinds of stuff, right? Of all the potential problems that could cause 
widespread panic in the in the U.S. Some sort of contagion was pretty far down on my list. That's why I, I thought it was so funny that I had I already had a lot of the stuff to sort of that that people are starting to hoard. Um, I, I'm good on toilet paper, but I you know I went to Thailand and I was going to eat a lot of street food and stuff like that, and I'm kind of a little weird about germs in the first place. So I bought a couple of boxes that had like hundreds of those Purell wet wipes in them that have over 60% alcohol in them. So I've still got like a hundred of those left just sitting, laying around my house all, all, all over the place. I, uh, like I said, I have the sourdough starter. I go to, um, these Asian neighborhoods and buy up like once or once a year or so, maybe once every couple of years and buy up all sorts of supplies there, uh, rice, the, the noodles or the rice noodles that you get in Thai food and things like that, that I like to cook with. So I've got like five or six bags of, of rice noodles. I could probably make a Thai food for the next month every night if I want it. You want some uh, pod CU or some uh, lad nar or some uh, pod Thai? I got you covered. I got you covered. I got all that stuff. It's just sitting there. And then I got tons of pasta, um, canned tomatoes. My, my freezer is stocked with, you know, meats. If something goes on sale. I just buy a lot of it and I throw it in the freezer. So, um, I really didn't have to have to do much shopping. I was low on LaCroix though. So I went and got a bunch of, uh, uh knockoff LaCroix cause I love my sparkling water. Um, and you know, I, I, I was still good on alcohol, but I got a few more bottles of booze just in case. I, I don't understand why people, why nobody's raiding the, the alcohol section. You don't think you're going to want liquor if they quarantine you for two weeks. If they make, if they make it so you can't leave your house for a month, you're not going to, you're not going to want some booze in there. Hey, idiots. Yeah. Have fun with your fucking toilet paper. I will just be getting smashed off of some Johnny Walker that I have stocked up because I, I am long on Johnny Walker. I'm long on wine. I, I'm good to go over here. And then I was thinking, you know, I, I took a quick inventory of my arsenal. And uh, while you guys are busy stocking up on your toilet paper and your fucking wet wipes, all right, um, you know, I, I, I did have, I was a little low on my 12-gauge shells. So I ordered a couple hundred of those. They're going to be delivered in a few days. But I got th- I got a few thousand rounds of ammo. I got five or six firearms. Worst case scenario, I'll just come and jack your toilet paper from you, you idiots. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You guys know that I abide by the non-aggression principle. That would be a violation of the NAP. I will not be using my shotgun to steal your toilet paper. Anyway, I, I just find all this pretty incredible. And I do think that in a few months, we're going to look back on this and you're going to be laughing at yourself for all of the insane thing. Somebody sent me a video of this black chick that was wearing plastic bags. She covered herself in plastic bags as if that's going to, that's going to do something. She had it on her shoes. She had a plastic bag over her face with so cut a little hole for her so she could breathe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god these people are insane you're all insane uh man there are there are way too many people though jesus christ one o'clock in the afternoon and uh the stores are packed i couldn't imagine i didn't go to costco i i wasn't gonna mess with that i i can't imagine what that's gonna be but um my next grocery supply run should i need one in the near future it will be a delivery order, and I don't really care what they're going to charge to deliver it. Costco delivers groceries. Uh, I'll, I'll use I'll use Postmates or something. I will find somebody who is willing to go through that hellhole to get me some groceries, and I will pay them whatever they want. <laughs> it's just it's just funny to me because my overall personality and just the type of person that I am, I, I was tailor made for something like this. I hate crowds. I hate people. I hate lines. I, I don't mind not going out in public for long periods of time. I don't like to meet a lot of new people. I have a very close circle of friends who I've known for like 30 plus years. And I'm fine. I'm fine staying in and watching Netflix or something. I, I just don't care anymore. 
you know, I buy sanitizing things in bulk. I buy all my groceries in bulk. I buy food in bulk, ammunition in bulk. I'm never in short supply of anything really. And I like to go camping. I'm, I'm an outdoorsy type of person. So I have a lot of gear. I have a lot of that stuff, you know, survival gear, things like that. Uh, I, I'm weird about people touching my face. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I guess since I know how to cook as well, that's another advantage that I have. Because everything that you would want to cook with, there's tons of that. Like I said, there were turkeys, there was fresh produce, there was meat, there was chicken, there was all, all kinds of stuff. Anything that you wanted, there, there was still tons of that. It was just all the, the prepared garbage, the, the frozen meals that people eat that are full of sodium. All, all that stuff was gone. Canned goods, jars of, of tomato sauce, the ramen noodles and things like that. Yeah, uh, people are already ravaged through all that stuff. I'm going to be eating like a king during this quarantine period. I guarantee you. I will be making, you know, I will be searing off some scallops with fondant potatoes and making like a jicama salad with a shallot uh, vinaigrette while you're sitting there eating your ramen noodles and, and some beans out of a can. <laughs> Have fun with that, right? Because <laughs> there's tons of that stuff. Jicama was everywhere. Uh, uh, shallots were, they were long on shallots. They had potatoes, every kind of potato you could imagine. And you can, you know, there are ways to preserve all that stuff too. You got uh, whatever. I guess that's enough of that. But I, I found it very frustrating um, to deal with all that stuff. Um, and of course, I ran into some lady that I used to work with and um, she was going in for a hug and I had to stop her. <laughs> oh, you're, you're good where you are, lady. You're good right there. And uh, that was pretty awkward. But, you know, I, I don't want to get this thing. I I. I I, I probably will at, at some point, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be that big a deal. I really don't. Anyway, you know, one of the, one of the things that um, would keep things like toilet paper, things like hand sanitizer, uh, the sanitation wipes and all that stuff, if, if you really want those to be available for everybody, you have to allow prices to increase. And that's one of the things that we always see during these, um, uh, you know, when people freak out about either a natural disaster, you know, there's a hurricane coming or something like this, or everyone's going to the store and buying 4,000 things of toilet paper, 35 cases of water. Everybody overnight turns into that retard that you read about in your math book in, in eighth grade. You know, Johnny goes to the store and buys 450 apples like that jerk off in front of me in line today. They wouldn't be able to do that if stores raise their prices and, and they most likely will now that there's a shortage of a lot of those items. Once they get restocked, you will see the prices of those go up in concert with the demand for them. And that's not a bad thing. Okay. And this is what, what a lot of people don't understand. And the government will come out and say like, oh, well, you can't, that's price gouging. You can't raise prices on that. And they'll fix the price of something. Say you can't charge more than, you know, $4 for a bag of flour or something like that. And then you'll go to the store and you won't see any bags of flour on the shelf because somebody went in there and bought it all up. Now, if flour was $10 a bag or $15 a bag or $20 a bag, whatever whatever it was, you might see some more flour on the shelf because all of a sudden, maybe that guy who, who uh, was just buying an extra six bags of flour or an extra 10 things of toilet paper just so that he's covered and he could feel safe, well, now he's got a decision to make. You really want to spend $150 on flour that you probably won't need or do you want to just get the, the one bag and, and you'll be fine kind of thing? The other thing that this does is it increases the incentive of places that do not have shortages of those things to produce more of them and send them to the markets that are in need. You know, maybe it's not economical. You know, I, I have some uh, food production thing and, and I can make, uh, I could make flour, but 
it's more um, economically beneficial for me to make something else most of the time. Maybe I can't make money on flour at $4 a bag, but at $10 a bag, I could crush it. So I can switch my operation, start cranking out flour because there's a ton of demand for it over down yonder. Okay, so the, the higher up prices go on things, the, the more people that will work to produce it and send it to those markets that are in need. If you fix the price at $4, you're not going to get me to make, it, make you any more flour. So when you inevitably run out at that price, you're not going to have me coming into that market to help you with supply. All right, th these are things that they, they don't seem intuitive to the average person. You know, it, it's, it makes sense when the government comes out and puts price controls on things. Oh, you can't charge $10 for a bag of flour. That's price gouging. You can't charge $50 for a case of water. That's price gouging, right? And that makes sense to people. It, it seems outrageous. But the thing is, if you don't do that, then somebody's going to hoard all the water. All right? And, and you, want, you want there to be water for people that really need it. And yes, you may have to pay $50 for it, but at least it's there for you to get it if you really need it. And if you don't l allow those prices to rise, yeah, sure, you could have the price of water be you know, $5 for a case, but there aren't going to be any cases of water available for you to buy. So what's the point of that? If you cannot afford $50 for a case of water, but you could afford 10, what difference does it make if there's no water on the shelves at $10 a case, at $5 a case? It's a distinction without a difference from a practical standpoint. So, um, uh, you know, that that's a, a little basic supply and demand. Why... Um, we should allow prices during these uh, tumultuous times to reflect the demand for items. And the higher up prices go, the more incentives people have to create that supply and get it to market because there's more money to be made. And that, you know, that may not seem intuitive at first, but if you really think it through, that's why price controls always lead to shortages in these types of situations. And you'd rather have it available for people who really need it, even if it's going to cost them more than it normally would, than to have the price artificially low and nothing, uh, none of it available on the shelves. So, and by the way, to all you idiots out there that are buying a eight-month supply of uh, Clorox wipes, right? You do realize that you're going to want everybody else to have those as well right? So that they can sanitize their surfaces and their hands so that they don't contract this disease and spread it around. The more people that have the wipes, the less chance there are of more people getting this disease and spreading it more rapidly. That makes sense, right? So maybe leave some hand sanitizer out there for the rest of them. Idiots. Anyway, that's all I, I really wanted to say on that. You know, Donald Trump came out earlier this week and he gave a, a speech a few days ago and the markets tanked and he, he came out this afternoon while I was at the store, actually, and, and declared a national emergency. And, and there's all these people that are out there. And this is just it, it really goes to show you just how everybody's mindset is so focused on, okay, there's a problem. What's the government going to do about it? And we need the government to work on this. And well, they're asking him if he takes responsibility for there not being enough tests to test people for coronavirus. And, um, you know, he fired, you know, he got rid of the, this pandemic team, you know, he cut back on the CDC pandemic team or something. And that's why this is now running rampant. Listen, this is all just a bunch of nonsense. I've heard people, you know, talk about these draconian cuts that he made to the, the CDC's budget. And that's the real problem here. That's why we can't contain this virus is because, well, the CDC's budget was cut. And every time there's a problem, it always has to everybody looks around and they try to find the one thing that government cut back on and use that as the excuse for why we're having this problem. We saw it in the 2008 financial crisis when they blamed 
the repeal, the partial repeal of Glass-Steagall for the whole thing. And of course, that had nothing to do with it. But they always have to go to the one thing that government got rid of and blame that, uh, blame the, the reduction in government as the problem for everything. And in this case, with the CDC, I mean, first of all, it's not even true. Okay, it's not even close to being true. All of Trump's uh, budget proposals have called for cuts to the CDC funding, but the president does not determine the budget. Okay, he can make proposals. Ultimately, that's up to Congress. They control the purse strings. And Congress has intervened each time by passing spending bills with year over year increases for the budget of the CDC that Trump then signed into law. So every year, the CDC's budget has gone up, and it's about 7% larger now than it was under President Obama's last two budgets, okay? That's the reality of it. That's the reality. So the budget hasn't gotten any smaller. What's your excuse now? Oh, well, he got rid of this pandemic team or something like that. There was some reporter asking that question. All right. They, they haven't gutted anything. They haven't slashed anything. Government never gets smaller, and it always gets bigger. Okay? And if he got rid of some pandemic team or whatever, what are they really going to do practically to, to solve this problem? What, 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 what was it, 10 people? 10 people on a White House pandemic team staff? Uh, oh, okay. What, what, what could they possibly do? And by the way, these are the same people that are criticizing Donald Trump, calling him racist when he was shutting down the borders like a month and a half ago, not letting people in from China, putting a travel ban on China. Well, that was racist, and now he's not doing enough. So he, he can't win either way, I guess. But we always just look to government, and, and, and there's nothing they can do. Government does not, uh, Donald Trump is not responsible for the number of COVID-19 tests there are available, okay? Government cannot produce tests. They can't provide health care. They can't do anything productive. That's all done by the private sector. This is what people need to understand. Stop looking toward government to solve these problems. All government does is stick its nose in and gum up the works, the FDA makes it almost impossible to bring drugs and vaccines to markets. Why do you think drugs are so expensive? Well, they have to go through like a 10-year trial period. And not only do they have to prove that they, the, the drugs will not do any harm, they have to prove efficacy. Efficacy. You know how hard it is to prove a drug's efficacy? Let the doctors determine whether or not the drug is effective. All right. As long as it doesn't do any harm, how about you let the actual doctors instead of some government bureaucrat determine whether or not it's effective? The same thing goes for vaccines. You know, they're talking about rushing this vaccine, even, you know, and they now they're in an emergency. And I remember when uh, it was one of those hurricanes with Obama and he was like, you know, if there's red tape in the way, we'll cut through the red tape to, to get these uh, goods to market and get people the supplies they need. If it's a matter of red tape. We'll, we'll cut through that red tape and uh, just in this one instance to get to get things done, right? Well, if there's unnecessary red tape in the way of everything, why not get rid of it permanently? Uh, what's it there for now? It's just screwing things up, making everything more difficult. And now they're, they're talking about getting this va vaccine together, and it's going to take over a year just to get that because of all the hoops that they have to jump through, all the regulatory stuff. And I guarantee you, those, all that regulation, at a minimum, is outdated. Most of it's going to be unnecessary. But these things are probably 10, 15 years old, a lot of these regulations, maybe even older. All right, and the CDC guidelines, they're hamstringing doctors and hospitals. And actually, I have an article right here, and this is, um, this is uh, from NBC News, actually. Uh, many private labs want to do corona tests, but they're still facing obstacles and delays. I could have tested over a 1,000 patients by now instead of checking boxes, said the director of the North Carolina lab. Even though the federal government has reassured the public that millions of tests for the coronavirus are on the way, many private laboratories in the U.S. still aren't able to conduct their own tests in part because of demanding government approval process. Leading lab experts and industry groups say, 
One hospital lab says it could have performed a thousand tests by now. The delays, which have also been driven by a shortage of materials and lack of information from the federal government about how much labs will be reimbursed, having prolonged waiting times to diagnose infected patients while the virus has spread further, according to lab directors and public health experts. Private labs have been in touch with the Department of Health and Human Services since mid-January about developing their own tests, according to the American Clinical Laboratory Association, which represents commercial labs and hospital labs. Private labs have continued to face hurdles. It could take weeks for some laboratories to get up and running. Our labs want to do the testing. The testing is needed. We've been waiting to get the okay to either create the tests or buy them from uh, test kit manufacturers. It will still take time. Some labs have spent weeks developing their own tests but remain frustrated with the federal approval process they say is too time-consuming and expensive. Miller says her lab had developed a test based on the World Health Organization's protocol before the state lab even had its own. But the UNC lab hasn't begun testing patients as it is still in the process of meeting the requirements for expedited authorization by the FDA, which must sign off on all new tests. The necessary validations for the emergency authorization are time and cost prohibitive. The FDA says that its requirements help to ensure the tests are based on sound science before they reach patients. Look, I I think you get the point here. There's all sorts of government hurdles that these private labs have to go to, uh, go through, in order to perform tests. Now, what sort of private lab would be performing a test that is inaccurate, that doesn't do any good? How long do you think a private lab is going to be in business if they're testing all these people and saying that they're either positive or negative, and that doesn't turn out to be the case? Okay, It is in their own best interest to have the best, most accurate tests. And there are ways of doing that and ensuring that in the private sector using the, the free market system. Instead of having all of these government agencies and bureaucracies that you have to go to and be like, oh, is this test okay? And then they got to review it. And then you got to go through health and human services, who, by the way, I, you know, I've talked to, I have uh, some friends that are pretty high up in, in government places. And if you ask them what their what the worst departments to work with in the in the in the entire United States government, they will health and human services is the number one answer. It's a fucking disaster. Everything you have to do with them takes way too long. And then then they have to talk about getting reimbursed and how much are they gonna pay for this? How much are they gonna pay for that? Is this test okay? Is that test okay? Can I do this? Can I do that? It's a fucking disaster. All of this. All of this. And none of this is the result of the free market. I hear all this talk about this unfettered capitalism has failed. That's a bunch of bullshit. Okay, we don't have capitalism anywhere. It's it's all gone. This is one example. Healthcare industry has government up its ass in every single way, shape, or form. But Donald Trump's coming out with all these stimulus packages now. This is what he was talking about earlier this week. He's going to have a, a, a COVID-19 coronavirus stimulus package to rescue the markets. Oh, please tell me about all this unfettered capitalism we have when the Federal Reserve comes out and injects $1.5 trillion of newly created money out of thin air and throws it into the markets. How's that unfettered capitalism? He's talking about bailing out the banks now and financial institutions, companies, cruise ships. Bailouts are not capitalism, okay? If, if these companies, if these financial institutions have over-leveraged themselves, which they pretty much all have, okay, um, you have to let them fail. Failure is part of free market capitalism. And then the ones that didn't do that stupid thing, the ones that didn't over-leverage themselves and overextend themselves and were prudent and did the right things, well, then they get to buy those failing companies up for pennies on the dollar. And then you have more banks and more companies doing the right thing and less banks and less companies doing the wrong thing. And you're not rewarding the wrong behavior through all these bailouts. But cruise ships, are they're not even U.S. companies, okay? They're all operating out of countries other than the United States for one reason and one reason only, to get around U.S. labor laws that come from the federal government and the cost of employment. It's the only way that they can actually compete around the world is because the, the federal government and all their rules and regulations have made it so expensive to hire people 
to operate these ships that nobody can do it on a U.S. flagship. Nobody can do it with a U.S. crew. The only way that they can compete is to have it on a non-U.S. flagship and a non-U.S. working crew. All the people that clean it, that serve the food, that operate, the, all the stuff that goes on on a cruise ship. None of them are U.S. citizens. And none of those ships are U.S. ships. That's the, the huge irony here. I don't know if he's actually going to bail out these cruise companies, cruise ship companies, because, you know, they are going to really suffer from this. And they're all over leverage. And that's the problem. The whole problem with the economy is that all of this cheap money, all of these artificially low interest rates have enticed people to borrow way too much money. Everybody has too much debt. What happens when, you have, when you're over leveraged with too much debt and all of a sudden you get a shock to the system like a coronavirus or something else goes wrong? When you're priced to perfection, and something goes wrong, well, now you can't make the debt service payments on all that debt you took out, and now you're in a lot of trouble, and now you need a bailout. All throughout the economy, we have these problems. We just don't know where they are yet, we, and we don't know to the extent how bad they are because they've all been masked by these artificially low interest rates. But those rates are going to rise, and we're going to start to see companies like this go under, and the worst possible thing we can do is bail them out. If they do end up bailing out these cruise ships, I, I guarantee you that the, the federal government will put some sort of stipulations in there that forces cruise ships to use a U.S. crew and U.S. flagship and abide by all these U.S. rules and regulations or something like that. And all that's going to do is increase the cost of taking a cruise. So now you won't have a, a cheap cruise option available. Now they'll all just be more expensive because they have to now abide by all these U.S. rules and regulations. The banks are bigger now than ever before because of all these the increased regulation as a result of uh, the, the 2008 financial crisis. That was their response to it. Oh, these, ba these banks, they were too big to fail, so let's pass Dodd-Frank, like 1,500-page legislation, all sorts of crap in there that only big banks can abide, can afford the cost of compliance. So now the banks are bigger than ever. We have less small banks than before. And your too big to fail problem is even bigger and even more likely to fail. How many times do we have to go through this before we learn our goddamn lesson? This is very frustrating for me. They haven't learned anything from the 2008 financial crisis. All they did was kick the can down the road. These stimulus programs that they're talking about, they're not going to be beneficial to the economy. You don't fix the economy by just printing money and, and throwing it out of helicopters, as Ben Bernanke uh, once said years ago. All this is going to do, you know, the, the whole stimulus package that he talked about, right? It was a payroll deduction. He was going to um, suspend the payroll deduction for the rest of the year. You know, the, that, that's the stuff that they take out of your paycheck for Social Security. I think the Medicare portion was staying in there, but Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, all these things that they take out of your paycheck before you get them, before you even touch the money, those are the payroll deductions. And, you know, they lie to you. They trick you into thinking that, oh, well, you pay half and your employer pays half. Now, that's a bunch of nonsense, okay? Yes, technically... They only take half from your paycheck and the employer pays the other half. But that employer, he, it doesn't matter to him whether or not he's paying that half to the federal government or he's paying it to you. For all intents and purposes, as long as he's paying it, he'd much rather give it to you than the federal government. So you're, you're really paying both halves of that. You pay the whole thing. You would be getting all of that money, but since the federal government is demanding it from the employer, well, then they get it instead. So the entire payroll deduction would be yours, absent the, the payroll deduction. But um, you, know, you can't help but wonder if all these payroll deductions and all these taxes are so detrimental to the economy. Why? Uh, which they're basically admitting by saying, well, you know, we, need to, we need to stop hurting the economy. We need to boost the economic uh, activity so we'll get rid of these taxes. Why don't we just eliminate them permanently, right? Wouldn't that be fantastic? I know I would love that. 
I know a lot of people that would love to never have to pay a payroll deduction into some Social Security Ponzi scheme. And I agree. I mean, these taxes are unbelievably unproductive. Uh, forget about even, I mean, the, the four, four and a half trillion dollars, four trillion dollars that they steal. I think we're getting close to four trillion a year now in, in taxes, in the income tax that, that they take from the productive uh, sector of society and they squander it in, in bureaucracy. But there's also just the compliance cost, just the cost that everybody spends to comply with the tax code is, is like $400 billion a year of just complete waste, right? And all this is going to do, if they're going to keep spending all the money that they're spending, and now even more so with uh, extra stimulus, and I, I guarantee you eventually they'll start cutting checks out to every American will get a check that will probably come next. But the Fed's going to cut interest rates to zero. They're, they're injecting trillions of dollars into the stock market. We're, we're spending money like it's going out of style. And now we're not collecting taxes. So all this is going to do is increase budget deficits. The government will collect less in taxes, and there will be less money coming in for Social Security benefits. And you, you know I've talked about Social Security before on the show, and you should know that I'm no fan. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you really need to go back because I break down everything about social security and how everything that you think you know about it is completely wrong but they're going to dip into this uh, phony social security trust fund that they always talk about how that's going to be solved until 2035 or whatever right if they have less money coming in for social social security benefits in fact no money for the rest of the year they're going to have to dip into that trust fund so what are they going to have to do well, they're going to have to sell more treasuries to get cash that, that they need to pay current Social Security recipients. And who's going to buy those treasuries? The Federal Reserve is going to buy those treasuries. They're the only ones that are left buying these things. Okay, how does the Federal Reserve buy the treasuries? Well, they essentially create the money out of nothing. All right, There's going to be a whole program designed to buy these treasuries in order to keep interest rates down. Because the Fed, that's how the Fed manipulates interest rates. They want rates as they, they target a rate. Right now, it's like one and a half percent or something like that. They will go to zero, and they're going to target zero. The only way they can do that is by buying up all of the treasuries that the government is issuing as fast as possible. That forces the interest rates low. If nobody was buying those treasuries, the rates would have to come up. That that's the relationship between the interest rate and the price of, of the treasuries, right? The, you, you have to increase the rate and decrease the price in order to make them attractive to people. All right, so um, the Fed doesn't want to let that happen. So they buy treasuries when nobody else will at whatever the price is in order to force those rates down. But if you really think about it, and this is the ultimate scam, and I've gone over this before on the show. I'll go over it real briefly here. This is why Bernie Madoff denied running the biggest Ponzi scheme in the world because the federal government had him beat. Because that Social Security trust fund selling treasuries is literally no different than the actual treasury selling treasury. It's all the same government. It's all the same obligation. And they will admit to you that that Social Security trust fund, this is why I call it phony, is, is full of nothing but IOUs. It's full of nothing but treasuries, which are nothing but government IOUs. But the government owes itself. It's all an illusion, okay, to keep you calm, to make you think that they have everything under control and that they haven't been squandering all of these Social Security taxes that they've been taking out of your paychecks. No, no. It, it's all in the trust fund, they say, right? Well, that's a lie. That's a lie. There's nothing in the trust fund. There's nothing in the trust fund but government IOUs, and the government owes it to itself. So that cannot simultaneously be an asset and an obligation, can it? If I had the treasuries, that would be an asset to me. I could call that a trust fund. But if, if the government has it and the government has to pay it, it's not an asset. It can't be an asset and a liability at the same time. So imagine there was no 
fake trust fund, right? There was no social security trust fund at all. And the government needed money to give to social security beneficiaries, right? So let's pretend that they didn't have this trust fund set up, that they, but they ran out of social security cash that they were pulling in from your taxes, okay? What would they do? Well, they would sell treasury bills and they would sell treasury bonds. That's the way the government borrows money. So they would sell that to the public, they would sell that to other countries, they would sell it to the Fed, whoever was buying, and they would take that cash and then they would give those dollars to Social Security benefits uh, beneficiaries in the form of Social Security benefit checks, okay? And of course, that is the exact same thing they are doing with the, the Social Security Trust Fund, okay? When they stop collecting these payroll taxes and they are short, and, and the amount of money they need to pay out to beneficiaries, they will dip into that trust fund. All that will be there will be treasury bills and treasury bonds. So they will sell those and they will get the cash and then they will give the cash to the Social Security recipients. Functionally, operationally, there is no difference whether or not we have that trust fund. They would be doing the exact same thing either way. And that just means that more treasury debt will need to be monetized by the Fed. The Fed's balance sheet is going to go through the roof. We're over $4 trillion right now. That's going much higher. We'll probably be at $10 trillion pretty soon. And this is not good for the economy. Bigger budget deficits, bigger trade deficits, because all these people who get the money, all, all they're going to do is buy cheap foreign goods because we don't make anything here, right? All that money is just going to go to China or India or who's ever producing those things. And it's not going to stop a recession from coming. All it's going to do is lead to more malinvestment, more misallocation of resources. You don't fix an economy by running deficits and printing money. And I don't know how many, like, I don't know why people think that works. I don't know how many times we have to watch countries try this and fail miserably. But if that worked, I mean, just think about it. It would be easy. Everybody would do it. If that's all you needed to do is run a printing press and just give out dollars. Why, why isn't every country doing this? And what happened in all these countries? Why did all these other countries fail? What happened in Zimbabwe? Uh, they, they printed trillions. They've got trillion-dollar bills. Teachers in Zimbabwe make millions of dollars a year maybe even billions a year, okay? And yet they're, they're poverty-stricken. Why isn't Zimbabwe the richest country in the world right now? They printed more money than anybody. They had the biggest stimulus, economic stimulus plan the world had ever seen. And yet they've got nothing. Why is that? Oh, yeah, because you, you can't just go around printing out dollars and, and consuming things. You have to produce stuff. That's the way it works. They've got the economic cart before the horse. And then what else is he going to promise, right? Mandatory sick leave. This is another thing that they're talking about. We need at least, at the very least, you know, we need temporary emergency mandatory sick leave so that all these people that are working paycheck to paycheck don't feel pressured to show up to work when they're sick, thereby spreading the disease more. Well, uh, again, the, the reason they're working paycheck to paycheck is because part of the reason is because the government steals 25% of their paycheck probably at a minimum through for, through all these payroll taxes. You know, they'd have a lot more money in their pockets if the government would just stop taking it from them and squandering it on all this unnecessary stuff. And then maybe they'd save a lot of it if we weren't artificially suppressing interest rates. Maybe they'd have some incentive to stash away some money for a, a rainy day like um when the coronavirus starts running rampant. But it's like, remember what Dr. Drew was talking about. If they didn't create all this panic, maybe these people wouldn't have to stay home from their job. Maybe they would still be making their tips and their wages. They, they wouldn't be canceling basketball games and baseball games and concerts and all of these low-wage jobs that people depend on that are now gone. They're evaporating because of what could very well be an overblown response to a problem that would not have been nearly as bad as we're making it. I mean, who knows? They'd all still have these jobs to go to. 
But what do they care? They they're not expo- they can they can do their broadcasts from a, a, a secure location. They they can limit their contact with people. Uh, they're not in danger of losing their jobs. In fact, they're getting more ratings because they're pumping this up to be the the end of the world. But of course, this would be permanent. There's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. I think uh, Milton Friedman said that. Yeah, the second they get they get that on the docket, that will become a permanent thing. And I know that sounds great to everybody, right? That's another intuitive thing. All these things that government promise you sound wonderful. Oh, well, you should have mandatory sick leave, mandatory paid sick leave. But what's that going to do functionally? Just like the minimum wage, it's going to increase the cost of employment. So you're going to get less people employed. It's really that simple. And then, of course, you're going to get all the fraud. What happens when you give your employees more sick time? (laughs) Obviously, they get sick more often, magically. Look, I mean, look how that works out. Uh, The government is unbelievably underestimating the cost of what a mandatory sick leave program would would be because they're, they're just looking at people's behavior now when they don't have it and then projecting that behavior with a mandatory sick leave program in place. It's going to cost a lot more, and people are going to be faking sick a lot more. Think about it from the employer's perspective. They can give you your, your salary, right? They can pay you for your work in one of two ways. They can either give you the actual cash, or they can give you some sort of benefit. All right, and and the employers are, are are they don't have an unlimited supply of money to pay employees, so if you increase the cost of employment with a mandatory sick leave program, well then they're going to pay their employees less, and in lieu of that payment, they will get the the sick leave benefit. So if they're going to make fifty thousand dollars a year and it costs ten thousand per employee for mandatory sick leave, well then they only pay you forty thousand, and the ten thousand is in the benefit there. Uh, okay, but wouldn't you rather have people make that decision for themselves how they would like to get paid? And if they don't have that decision, well, people aren't just going to leave that ten thousand dollars on the table. They're going to take advantage of the mandatory sick leave program. Because they're paying for it one way or the other. So even if you don't get sick, you're going to take your sick leave time. And you'll have less people working. That's going to hurt companies. They're going to hire less people. They're going to pay their workers less in wages. Instead of getting the cost of paid leave given to them in salary, they'll get the benefit. They won't get both. I want workers to have a choice. You want your compensation in the form of sick leave or money, you decide. When you force the choice, then everybody needs to take advantage of it. Or they're, they're like I said, they're leaving that benefit on the table. Uh, production will suffer. They'll incur extra costs, and they'll have to pass that on to the consumer. So prices will rise. So as usual, the government program designed to help the worker and the, and the poor, the people most vulnerable to th- this type of problem, will in fact hurt the average worker. It will hurt the poorest among us, just like every government program always inevitably does. So all of this economic stimulus that will get construed as free market capitalism will inevitably fail. They cannot, they can only, you know, delay the inevitable with this stuff, right? Uh, We are going into a recession if we're not already in one. The, the markets have been, it was up a little bit today on, on Donald Trump um, basically promising all the money in the world for all the problems in the world. But, you know, we've been seeing 2,000-point declines and then 1,000-point swings up and then another 2,000-point leg down. You, you get that sort of movement when you're in a bear market. And we could be headed, we could be in one right now. We could be headed for a, a very deep recession I've been talking about this constantly on the show. It will not be the result of free market capitalism. It's the result of all of this government intervention in the economy that's been skewing markets and creating all this malinvestment and misallocation of resources. And like I said on on the last episode, I do not think this will be the end of the world regardless of how bad this coronavirus gets. I don't want to make too light of it because people are dying. But I, I do think it's being way overblown, and it, but it will coincide with a, a pretty severe economic downturn, and you want to make sure you're positioned for, for these bad times that are ahead. 
And toilet paper is not the way to do that. Okay. And if you do get a, a stimulus check in the mail, do something with that money because the purchasing power of your dollar will be going down very rapidly if they keep this up. And, it, and believe me, they are going to try to keep this party going and it is going to cost trillions of dollars to do that. So get a plan in place to preserve whatever wealth that you have accumulated over these years and hang on tight because we're in for a hell of a ride. I had some other stuff I wanted to talk to today, but um, you know, I apologize. I, I, I'm not in a very good mood right now. I was a little riled up after my grocery store run, and I, I'm not going to get into all this uh, Biden and Bernie Sanders stuff that I wanted to talk about because I'm running way over time here. Uh, maybe I'll save that for the next episode. Be safe, everybody. Take care. Download and subscribe to the show. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction and share the show with, with a couple of your friends. You, you know, we're gonna, all going to be sitting around inside of our places. We're going to be looking for things to do, things to listen to. Give them this show to listen to. I, I will still keep doing the show. It's one of the few things I can do without leaving my uh, condo here. So uh, what a great opportunity to spread a great informative podcast that will keep people entertained and uh, drop some serious knowledge on them. So do me a favor and share the show. And if you want to become a supporting member, go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And if you can do all that for me, I will be back next week and we can do this all over again. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.